Hi, I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio, and you're listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Queer Teen Podcast. I'm super excited for this guest. Um, They're going to tell you a little bit about themselves, and then we're going to get into it. Take it away. Hey, everybody. I'm Reverend Naomi Washington Leapart, and I live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm originally from Detroit. And in Philadelphia, I have two jobs. One is as the director for faith-based and interfaith affairs in the mayor's office in City Hall. And the other is as an adjunct professor of theology and religious studies at Villanova University, which is a Catholic school uh, here in suburban Philly. What's your City Hall job like? What is that day in and day out for you? Yeah, I see my job at City Hall in a couple of different ways. One is to represent uh, a call to moral clarity Uh, in city government. So I'm the person who is first and foremost concerned with the health and wholeness of the city, not just materially or economically, but also spiritually. And and that for me means it's not a religious thing. It's, it has to do with, you know, do people's spirits thrive in the city? And how can we make sure that that happens consistently? for folks. And so that moral clarity, bringing us back to our values, back to the promises that we've made to the people that we serve uh, is, is, I think, a major piece of my role. Uh, The other thing is, is I am tasked with convening tables of influence uh, for faith leaders and people of faith in the city to make their voices heard, to make their complaints known, uh, to get their questions answered. Uh, So I uh, am trying to consistently every week, every month, be engaging the the faith community specifically uh, as it relates to the work of city government. Um, And then I think um, the other way I see my role is is, uh, as the sort of professional faith leader, public person in city government. So when, you know, somebody's having an event and they want an opening prayer to start it, or, or at the beginning of every city council meeting, there is a word of prayer. Um, oh, cool. These are, the, these are the roles that I get to fill on the mayor's behalf. Um, and so that's kind of, the, you know, your public speaking, public faith leadership component. Is this a position that's everywhere? Did I not know about this in government? Well, no, it's it's okay. actually still very rare. Um, okay, Philly okay. has had Philly's had somebody in this role for I want to say fifteen years for that's a long time. A great role. Yeah, um, but there aren't many la- large cities. New York has. I have a peer in New York, and I have a peer in D.C. Uh, but many major cities don't have anybody like me situated in city hall. What what's the um now have you been a part 
Uh, I think you have. I'm not sure though. Uh, uh, being a past a reverend and like speaking in front of people, like because you don't do that anymore, correct? Like you don't get up in front of a church. Like you don't well, have your own church. I don't have. I don't have my own church. Um, I did spend some time as a pastor of a congregation in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So Central I love Lancaster. Yeah, I, li I Lancaster. Li I live there and I've worked there a lot. Oh, did you? Okay, so I was in theater uh, on the. Ah, got it. Okay. I was in the um, on the pastoral team of a congregation in Lancaster. So I do have pastoral experience. That's the place um, to be there. It's very... Uh, <laughs> well, you know, we were like this oasis in the middle of the desert, it felt like. You know, we were yeah. radically inclusive of in, in all the ways. Flip yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, and, and uh, Lancaster County is known for being pretty socially and politically conservative. So we were... Yes, it is. We were kind of the exception. <laughs> yeah, we were the exception to all the rules, you know. Um, I love Lancaster, though, like, oh, because of the, there's lots of theaters. I worked at the Dutch Apple Dinner Theater. Okay. And the Fulton yeah. Opera House. And mm -hmm. then, I, I had, then I had friends, speaking of conservative, worked at Sight and Sound on the mountain there. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I've, made it, I've made it through two Sight and Sound shows, and that's about enough for me. <laughs> that's, I, me that's too. I've, done, I've seen two as well. I've, mm -hmm. And it's, it's like... I always describe it as Radio City Music Hall for Jesus. Yes, uh, that's a whole other. We could do a second podcast oh, we could. <laughs> episode on. We could. <laughs> we certainly could. Yeah, uh, but you were an um, inclusive congregation. We were. We were radically inclusive. What's um, the name of it? And it's called Wisdom's Table at St. Peter's. It's it's actually historically St. Peter's United Church of Christ. And then when we came okay. as a pastoral team, we, we wanted to set a different kind of table. We wanted to signal to the community that we we were about um, something, something more. Um, I'm not suggesting that the congregation wasn't already headed to the to being inclusive and open. Uh, yeah. They certainly were. Uh, but so we changed the name to signal that we were in a new season at, at the church. Um, so I have been a, a, a church pastor, a congregational leader. Now uh, I get the, the joy of preaching for many different congregations. And so not the same one over and over again. So this, this past month I've been virtually, I mean, here we are in COVID. So it makes it a whole lot easier for me to travel <laughs> technically to places. Yeah. And so I have preached in congregations in Chicago, in Connecticut, of course, throughout Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. So, so now I get the chance to kind of be an itinerant guest preacher mm -hmm. uh, for many congregations. And that, I love the variety of that. I love the challenge of that. You know, no two congregations are alike. Uh, so I really, I, I still get to be a pastor, um, but it's just, uh, it, it's, it's the variety of pastoring people who, are temporarily under my care and not not permanently under my care. That's actually better <laughs> in some ways. Uh, two, one, you, like you said, you can you can speak to people all over, especially during COVID. That actually has been kind of a blessing because no, it has been a blessing because um, people that I that I speak to in my podcast, I've spoken spoken to people in Africa, the UK, Canada. Um, I normally would travel, but for me to travel with just one episode, I have to travel for a reason and purpose and has to be like a week long thing and, um, or a weekend thing. So it's been really nice. So when you have people that you can speak to under your care for a little bit, and then you're like, all right, you know, now I'll move on to the next. It's actually, 
I, to me, it's the, what Jesus would would did wanted to do, like bring in all the types of people. Sometimes they stay, they go away, they come back. Like it's just a that's community, really, and like you just build on that. Um, it's like a beautiful thing. It really is. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's a very it's nice to be grounded too and have a great community like base um, in a church too when they're actually using the word community or as the thing that actually it's for. But uh, it doesn't always do that. Speaking of, um, where's the LGBTQ component come in? <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, I guess where you to could start? Say, do you mind saying like? your life a little bit tell you talk talk about your life a little bit sure yeah so i grew up in detroit and uh am a church girl was was always in somebody's congregation church service um due to my grandmother's influence my grandmother uh for whom i am named her she was naomi and i am naomi cool. um took me and my brother to church and to bible study and to youth group and to this or that i mean so we were thoroughly um raised in a christian religious tradition i don't remember that that congregation was explicitly homophobic or transphobic but i do remember number one there just weren't any references to queerness to queer people to queer lives queer families and so that erasure signals something about whether or not people imagine that there are other ways of being in the world, right? If you'd never bring it up, then we just never considered it. Um, and two, there were, there was just an anti, I think an anti-body and an anti-sex attitude in general. So even people who were married didn't really act like it. <laughs> you know, there was just a, there was a lot of silencing and a lot of um, just vacuum around bodies and sex and sexuality. Um, so, I, so I say that I don't have the trauma of having grown up hearing a bunch of violence related to sexuality from the pulpit. And I'm grateful for that because I know that's not everybody's story. Um, I think that probably middle school was when I realized that um, I was attracted to my best friend how it always I, starts. There, no, <laughs> there weren't, there weren't, <laughs> there weren't any words or, you know. I you don't need them when you're. You don't need them because it's what you. That's what you know. It's just something that is um, innate and yep. intuitive. Um, so never did anything or said anything about that. Uh, got to high school and same thing. Just, you know, I was a nerd and so I focused all of my explicit energy on getting good grades and, and et cetera. Then when I got to college, so I came to Philadelphia to go to college, I started to meet black Christian people who were theologically progressive, some of whom were even out as queer. And I was like, this was a whole new world for me because I didn't know that that folk existed who believed in radical love and hospitality and, and still called themselves Christian and still right. you know, they knew the, they knew the Bible too and they knew that you know because the, the narrative is anybody who calls themselves a Christian and is uh, radically inclusive 
they don't actually know what the Bible says, or they don't actually, they're not well trained, right, in the tradition. But here I was meeting people who knew the Bible, yeah, who lived in a way that was faithful. You know, they were participating in church communities and whatever, and they still had this regressive theology. And so that was my first introduction to the possibility of being out. But I didn't come out. I was like still, you know, doing whatever I was doing in the in secret, in the dark, but I wasn't open. Then fast forward a little bit to um, maybe 10 years after college. I'm working as a professional, having my personal life over here, but you know, still compartmentalizing everything. And I started to get an inkling that I was being led to go to seminary. I was being led to go to graduate school to study religion and to more specifically prepare to be a minister. And got invited to an open house at Lancaster Seminary. I didn't know anything about seminary. I didn't know anything about Lancaster. But Lancaster Seminary was the first place I was invited to share fully who I am. Um, it, it was just a place that almost demanded that you bring all of who you are, right? There are no secrets, no shortcuts, no hidden places, no masks. You know, you just come and, and bring all of who you are and, and be trained for ministry. So I met other out black Christian ministers in seminary, and that is what compelled me to come all the way out. Um, so I came out to my family during seminary, came out to my close friends, um, and introduced myself kind of to the world as an out black woman Christian leader. In Lancaster. Um, in Lancaster. People, uh, just for the listeners, just so you know, <laughs> there's, there. Uh, currently I'm in Pigeon Forge, um, Tennessee. That's pretty, it's pretty godly here. Um, mm -hmm. And Dolly Parton. And um, so in Lancaster, it's the same, it's pretty deep rooted in Christian faith. They have a That's big true. theater called Sight and Sound, Living Waters, and there's rules for like, you can't be gay to work there. You can't drink, you can't have a life. You have to go according to their rules and you will be fired. It's in the contracts. So right. they go pretty hardcore. I actually went through a whole period of my life uh, at a church there with some friends and I had my own Bible and all the texts and the workbooks and this and this and that. And it all happened in Lancaster, Hershey and that area, that whole area. And uh, then I was told I couldn't be gay. So then I was like, mm, that's not gonna work out. So just so people that are listening, it's a pretty, 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 pretty conservative. Uh, yeah, that's right. Area. With a lot of arts though, which is very, very like eclectic situation, but it's pretty conservative. Sorry, I just had to let everybody know because that's a pretty big deal to me. That's but. absolutely true. That's absolutely true. I think Lancaster Seminary is again, one of these oasis places in the middle of a desert. And by desert, I just mean there aren't a lot of as you say, religiously progressive organizations and institutions. No. So, so Lancaster Seminary is almost like the, the contrast to Lancaster Bible College, which is also in Lancaster, yeah. which, is, which also pre prepares people for ministry, Christian ministry, but is not inclusive. Um, and so I feel very grateful that I went to, to Lancaster uh, Seminary 
And then I was there during the genesis of the Black Lives Matter movement. That was also the other piece that was important for my formation. I was there when Trayvon Martin was killed. I was there when Michael Brown was killed. I was there when Sandra Bland died. I was, you know, and so my ministry formation happened at the same time as my political formation, right? Mm -hmm. My formation as a black woman who's interested in justice and activism. And so uh, it was a really, it was a really interesting place to cut my teeth. Uh, but by the time I left Lancaster and moved back that's, to Philadelphia, that's a lot of that's a. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, but like putting it all that together, because right. your this is your studies are pretty intense. I would assume it's pretty intense. Yeah, it's a full time, yeah, like, you know, graduate program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's it's a lot, and you're learning a lot. Mm-hmm. You're learning a lot of new things. You're learning a lot of things you already knew, but you're making sense to them, and then you're learning about yourself. And then all of that happens. The Black Lives Matter movement happens, and you're in Lancaster. Right. It's like that's uh that's pretty pretty, pretty <laughs> episodic there. It is, and I I don't think it's coincidental. I think it's no. I don't think it's random that, oh, hey, that no that's way. what happened. But that was that was critical for me. And and then when I left Lancaster and moved back to Philly, I was fully um out in all the ways as a kind of political um you know a person who's interested in a radical politics where all people can be dignified and and thrive and a person who's interested in radical inclusion in church spaces um and so i was fully out then uh, and got involved in some queer uh organizing worked for the national lgbtq task force which is the first and oldest um, LGBTQ national justice group in the country. Um, and, and now I'm in this role where it's not queer organizing, but they certainly had not, we have not had anybody who is out <laughs> in this role no. in Philadelphia. I mean, usually that's not how it works, right? And so I feel really grateful to be in this role. Um, and whether I, whether I'm doing queer organizing or not, the fact that I am a queer person in a position of religious leadership um, says a whole That's lot. Queer about... organizing. That's yeah. Queer organizing. That is a queer, right. you know, like to, to, yes, to be in the position you're in. That's why I asked about that position because I never heard of that position before. And I kind of understand why, like, it's, it's so interesting though, now that I think about it, because everyone's like, separate church and state, right? But then, if you try to just uplift everybody and put them together, a lot of people come up against that because there's a lot of conservative, nasty people at the top, uh, mostly white men that are using that to their advantage to get political gain. And it's for the wrong reasons. It, that's a wrong reason. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can completely remove, and I don't think we should completely try to remove morality and ethical frameworks from government. I think the fact of the matter is if we're wanting people to come completely authentically, then that means they need to come as people of faith as well. But the problem is faith cannot be used as a weapon, wielded as a weapon to undermine the freedoms of the groups you you don't like, the groups that you think are sinning or whatever. So, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they weaponize. It's weaponized. That's a great word for that. It's just, and it has been. We see it throughout the, a long time. 
since sure. the beginning since the beginning of it all according to the, what people wrote in a book according to what someone came up with and translated um but that's a whole other podcast too but uh i always talk about that i was like i should have a podcast for that because the translations and all of the, the you did theology so i mean like if you really just smartly intelligently break it down it's you, it's it's a it's a beautiful experience but if you weaponize it it's not right. it's so mean and it's just like so hurtful to so many people right. and which is why i'm doing this season because it's like i i need to hear your story we need to hear your story because a lot of people don't know that you exist like that you know you can't exist like that right. um it's it's very confusing i mean something just happened with the pope with the pope saying yeah, yeah. people and then the vatican going no no blessing and i'm like what like that's conflicting conflicting um opinions and it's a to millions of people <laughs> not a few yeah, it's people, to millions i think of people. people i think people don't realize how just how painful this stuff is that they don't you know it's not you know when, when the supreme court was hearing the masterpiece cake shop case um, which as you know involved you know the denial of this product this wedding cake to two guys who had gotten married and wanted to have a wedding to celebrate that they had gotten married and they wanted to have a cake. And the banker said, no, I, this goes against my religious belief. That that case went all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, and the, the vast majority of people were like, well, just go to another baker. And I don't think people get <laughs> that it's not, that normalizes the fact that some people should be rejected and some people have the right to turn folks away based upon their own religious understanding. And so it's it's not just like, well, leave the Catholic Church. That's not, my dog is, my dog is here. That's okay. Say, say hi, hi doggy. Um, so it's not, it's not a question of, should people stay in the Catholic Church or leave the Catholic Church? It's, it's really about how do we transform the institution so people don't feel traumatized ever you know, it's not like, oh, let me just join a progressive Catholic church. No, right. the whole institution needs to be thoroughly transformed. That's just, that's it. But look what, well, just America as an example, not just the world, but America as an example, the way we started America, the way we, we literally set up that divide so strongly in this country, so strongly. That's why people still to this day get confused and should get confused because they don't think they're that way because um, they would never do that or say that or be that. And I'm like, wow. I was like, you can't even see past how ridiculous that sounds. But listen, I get it. It's like the word racism gets thrown around a lot these days, like a lot. And uh, I did something with my mom. I, I, I said, well, we're all white people are, are racist. And she's like, I'm not racist. I go, hear me out. I'm like, systematically we are because Look how our country was created. Look when you think about something in a different way, that's probably not the nicest way, but you don't think of it that way because you're not taking the action towards it. You're just thinking about it, but thinking about it is the same thing. Uh, well, it is a thing with it. So it's just with religion and, and, and LGBT and the church. And it's just, if you're gonna say things and you're a leader and you say them over and over and over and over and over and they're negative, 
who do you think you think people are not going to not believe that they are they're going to believe that let's just start yeah that's true i mean words matter words mean things they're so powerful words matter four years (laughs) (laughs) exactly Uh, words have consequences exactly so it's never just rhetorical it's never just about oh words sticks and stones break bones but words never hurt no words hurt they hurt really bad people commit suicide over words so that's right i'm sorry it's like what so um uh, how's your family and like how was how was everybody's um yeah like how was that experience uh you know just coming out fully being you uh-huh well um there was definitely a rough a rough patch um where yeah. there was some some dissonance people could not put two and two together how is it that you're a minister right. how is it that you you know we've known you all your life in this particular way and right. or we've made some assumptions about you all this time and now suddenly and so there so there were uh there were some periods of adjustment let me say that that folks folks needed to make folks needed mm-hmm. to make you know uh, i love that t-shirt that says be you they'll adjust you know the the idea is that people will either choose to adjust and adapt to the authentic truth about you or they won't and that's it so you know so many so many queer folks have had to grieve the loss of people who are still alive right because yeah. those folks could not adjust to Ooh. this truth hold on one second <laughs> i no one's ever said it that way oh my god that's great mm. no one's ever said it that way that is a great wow give me a second i'm sorry <laughs> take your time <laughs> take your time do you mind if I ever use that? Can I use that? Because it's sure. like, yeah, no, I've never, sure. I've never said it that way. You know, I've said, I've said, talked about grief and I'm very open about death and all that kind of stuff. And we grieve in our own ways and there's levels and stages and all that kind of stuff to it. But I never even put the word in use of the person that has to be like, oh, well, they're not going to be my family anymore. I've just said it in other ways, but I like saying it with the word grief. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I just never put the words like that together. Oh, see, this is why you have to continue to learn and listen. <laughs> That's all there is to it. You got to yeah, hear yeah. those moments. You got to grab onto those things and be like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. And then the word adjust. I love that word adjust because they, they, it's true. You're right. They either adjust to your true authentic self or. Yeah. 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 And now in my family, you know, people are with the program. You know, it's like, this is me. This is my family. This is the family I've created. Um, and, you know, so now I get asked to pray at the family gatherings and stuff. And so that's when, you know, it's like, okay, people think I'm legitimate. <laughs> so right. you get to pray for that pray event, the, event or whatever. Yeah. 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 So, um, so I think that I have, again, I feel really grateful that I have had a village of support. I know that that's not true for everybody. Right. Um, and I have my own family that if if my biological family or my family of origin decides to walk away from me tomorrow, I have the family that I've created as my little my little village. And yeah, I, I feel really I feel really grateful about that. Uh, 
what your is your wife what does she do if you don't mind and is she involved in the church or political she's also she's also a minister um oh cool she her her work and her uh, areas of expertise and specialty are different um uh and she was not raised in church like i was um and so she she has a different sort of historical relationship uh to oh, that's cool she's a minister yeah. and she wasn't raised in church. like that's interesting exactly exactly so um but but I, you know we make a good team and um that's it yeah that's it yeah i love it i love that same me and my husband we're just we just i can't it was just make a good team that's mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. uh and i know that's not it for everybody like i always say that and i know it's a, like a, it's a broken record but you just always have to consider that that's true that's true that's true and that's i mean that's the thing we learned like in organizing right in queer organizing for so long the aspirational goal was marriage we just want the same right. things that cishet couples have right right but the thing is like relationships are relationships and marriage is is a joy and a challenge no matter who's in the thing right okay. and so it's not that it's not that we need to worship the institution of marriage as some kind of you know we're just trying to demonstrate that we're just like you no what if i think this is the real opportunity queer people have an opportunity to to set some terms for relationship and for marriage that are actually better that are more healthy right you than, said it <laughs> Say it so, all the time. There's a so spark in that the way, magic. Exactly. So we don't need to we don't need to just replicate the toxicity that mm -hmm. exists in cishet mm -hmm. relationships. We have an opportunity to create a new um the the rules for relationships, for love, for commitment, um, and be an example in that way, right? It's so interesting too, because um I think because uh people want to push us aside because we're queer and we're being ourselves that we have to really come up with the words and the language to really communicate extra communicate um to not only our significant other but um to people at work because you're always coming out right like there's never a time you're not coming out because someone's going to meet you and then you'd be like oh this is my husband jason i don't I do think about it when I go places because that's just the way our, our world is created. Like yeah. I don't hold my husband's hands in certain places and we all think of these things and people mm -hmm. don't really think mm -hmm. about that, but uh, I'm not crying about it. I just, those are the things I will constantly think about. Um, but I do introduce him as my husband. Oh, it's my husband. And, um, but for somebody that I might be saying that to on the phone of customer service or something, I'm always coming out. And for people, it's still a thing for a lot of people. It's not, but there's, there's a chunk of people that don't don't even think twice about it, um, but there are a lot of people that you know they have their prejudices. However, they they want to say they do or do not. I'm racist or I'm not racist. Like just just take a second. <laughs> I don't know. I just this is the work that I do and I love and I value and I appreciate. So that's why I I brought you on this podcast because from just reading about you, I was like, oh well, come on, like this is the exact work that needs to continue and now you even told me about Lancaster and I'm still blown away by that but I think it's so it's just proves to you that humanity humanity is great it's, and everything else that happens in humanity that's not great um, 
I think happens less than the actual good stuff. But sometimes it doesn't seem that way. And, you know, considering the year we just had, well, considering the four years we had and the year that we had, so five years. Right, right. Quite a ride. Uh, So in Philadelphia, when, um, give a, I love hearing like a story, like what's a story that stands out to you as like a kind of an aha moment with your work that you're doing or a moment where you were like, this is, this is it. I'm going to get that was my husband, uh, Jason. <laughs> this is, this is what I'm supposed to, to be doing right now. Mm. That's a big question. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think there've been a couple of moments, uh, for me, one, uh, one that sticks out, uh, last summer, you know, there were uprisings all over the country in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. Um, thing, you know, the, the pot, the boiling pot, um, the water in the boiling pot uh, started to spill out and we saw all over, including in Philadelphia, uprisings. So that happened during the summer. And then in October of 2020, Philadelphia experienced a police shooting. Um, so the, the, the protests came to our neighborhoods, right? Um, a young man named Walter Wallace Jr. was killed by Philadelphia police. And we here in city government, you know, we're we're also human. And we had meetings after meeting after meeting in the, in the same week, uh, trying to figure out how to engage community, how to um, demonstrate accountability and transparency in the wake of this death. And I got to be in the room to lead us in humanizing the conversation. So, you know, I think it's easy for folks in government, no matter whether it's city government or state government or federal government, to get um, tongue-tied and to resort to talking about facts and figures or talking about policy measures and using all of this jargon that's just inhumane. And what I wanted to do as the city's faith leader in the room was to say to the mayor, to the police commissioner, to other senior leaders in the city, that you first have an obligation to be human, to lead from your human core, Somebody has died. More than that, somebody has killed, has been killed. I mean, this person was stolen from us in the middle of a mental health crisis. And let's just pause to acknowledge what that does to us before we start thinking about, you know, the press conference and this and that, you know. Let's be human. And so that that moment where we're all, you know, allowing ourselves to to break, to crack open, um, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, to to come undone. I kept saying, let's be let's get undone together. Like nobody has it all together. Nobody. We don't have a magic wand to make the pain go away. So why don't we just come undone? 
right? And um, I really appreciate the opportunity to, you know, you asked about pastoring. Have I have pastored a congregation? I, I think that I've been able to pastor City Hall in a way that invites people to deeper relationship with themselves, relationship with community. So that that meeting in particular strikes me, um, and I'll never forget how it felt for me to be trying to, to guide us the, the day after something horrible has happened, right? Um, and to be the person that tries to give words that are helpful uh, in that moment. That's uh, that's great. I mean, I don't think that happens very often in politics and in 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 Congress and Senate. Like, I don't think anyone actually takes that moment and be like, "Hold on, we're speaking to humans. Something bad has happened, really bad, and it's continuously happening. It's been happening in this country for decades. Right. So just give it a second." We have to just, right. yeah, and like be human because I mean, that's the problem. That's what becomes the problem with politics is that it just seems like one framework and like they only have one idea and they're gonna sit on it. And that's what every politician that you come across a lot of the time, not every, but like a lot of them. Um, I actually think that's why AOC um, gets the worst things thrown at her because she's actually just doing what we're doing and just talking about it and humanizing it as opposed to just jumping right there on the 155 bills that we're gonna like try to pass or more than that, 400, whatever it is, you know, it's like, I don't, yeah, that's just yeah. in such an important role. Like it's, it's especially in Philadelphia, it's such a, it's a big city, it's populated, there's lots of different sections to it. It has mm -hmm. its problems, it has things that are great. Um, and it's divided in such interesting ways. Um, I go there a lot because I, I love it first and I go and do work there. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's pretty, that's pretty cool. Like, I love that. It gives people a second to be like, oh yeah. I was like, yeah, right. you're gonna go home at the end of the day and you're gonna make dinner. <laughs> like, that's right. That's right. You know, you're that's gonna right. open your front door. Like, that's, right. that's what everyone's gonna do. The majority of us do that. Right, so, right, right. Um, you had mentioned you're also an adjunct professor. Yes. You teach theology. Mm -hmm. Do you find that the conversations that you build in that room are based inside of, um, do you have a curriculum or is it something that you create with each class? Like, how do you, I don't know what it's like to like go to a class for theology. I just have lots of really amazing mentors in my life. One particular, sure. my old, um, my old uh, church leader, Reverend uh, Pastor Ian. So at my UU church, so like that's who I look up to for my theology and all the different mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. So how mm -hmm. do you, how does one approach that? I don't really know. Yeah, so um, Villanova is a Catholic uh, institution and Villanova requires that students take at least two theology courses to graduate, regardless of the major, regardless of what they, aspirationally want to do with their lives, they have to take some theology courses. And so I get a chance to teach uh, a course called Faith, Reason, and Culture, which is like the 100 level theology course that all students take their first or second year of college. Um, while there are some loose requirements around the course and its objectives, 
the professors have complete freedom in determining the syllabus. What's what are we going to read? Uh, what questions will we have uh, to explore? What assignments will we do to demonstrate our engagement with the subject? So I feel really grateful that I'm able to structure this faith, reason, and culture class in a way that exposes students to theological perspectives. I call it from the sides. Um, so getting away from the center, getting away from the dominating perspective, the, the one that gets legitimacy in mainstream settings, and um, reading queer perspectives, reading indigenous perspectives, reading perspectives from women, women of color, um, reading perspectives about disability. Um, uh, so I use, I, I say all the time that a syllabus is a political document. It, it contains my values, right? What, what's important? Because if it's not important, it doesn't make the syllabus, right? Or if we do it on the last day, as opposed to do it on the first day, that says something about my my hierarchy, right? And so, yeah, I I think that the the theology classroom is another space where we get to influence um, how people behave behave in the world. This is not many people think theology is like this abstract thing. I you know, unless I'm going to be a minister, why would I study theology? But you know, one of the things that January 6th showed us is that things have religious motives. You know, those folks who showed up at the Capitol on January 6th showed up with signs that said Jesus saves, showed up with their Bibles and had prayer, you know, near the Lincoln Memorial, for example. And so things have religious meaning even if, you know, it's not explicit, you know? Um, and so I think that the theology classroom is the other space where I get to um, participate in people's, people's moral formation, political formation, you know? Um, I, other teach, I also teach a class that I designed myself called Do Black Lives Matter to God? And so this is, again, trying to mix these questions, Black Lives Matter as a movement, and theology, thinking about God, um, reading sacred text. And so, yeah, I really think it's an honor for me to, as a Black queer woman who is not Catholic. No, it's like you're in a Catholic school. That's cool. <laughs> to teach at a Catholic institution. Um, well, that's so I, funny I th about Catholicism, though, because I have been around queer monks, open, and I have been around... Um, one of my best, that's this week, actually, drops on Wednesday. Um, he's raised in the Catholic Church, and he's super gay, and like all of, he's from the UK. Uh, David, he's fantastic. And that's what's, you know, uh, specifically the Catholic Church, because I grew up Catholic. That's what was I was given to me when I was growing up. And, uh, and then we left, and that whole thing, and drama, drama. But, uh, and nuns are kick ass. The nuns are amazing part of that institution some of them not everyone but like there's just the work they actually really do the harder work in my opinion um getting out there and just making it happen so i think that's so cool i, I think theology is like so 
I don't know. I love theology. I think it. It's, <laughs> I, I think too. everybody should take it. Like everybody should understand mm -hmm. not just one thing. Like they need to understand as a whole. Um, but the but at the end of the day, we all just want to hopefully just be together and work together because it's it's us. We're doing it. Um, we're doing this. We created this. We created. Mm -hmm. We not the not the earth and the trees, but we created the things around it to exist together. Hopefully, coexist together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think uh, I love that. I love that. And then you have you have so many students. Like if you think about it, all these people that you're constantly teaching and, and, and bringing up and raising up. Yeah, I was doing a kind of retrospective. Like, wow, since I've been at Villanova, how many students have I had? um and we're close we're closing in on 500 students you know what i'm saying and so that feels really impactful right i don't always know how an experience in my class sure. will impact a student but just the idea that i could have these folks cycling through my world and and they're and i'm influencing them and they're influencing me right um yeah, yeah. it's really extraordinary yeah mm -hmm. yeah you gotta make sure you do that you gotta make sure you hear them and like Oh, I didn't thought of it that way. Or like, right. you're gonna do that? That's cool. Like, where do you come from? What's your story? Because stories are so important. That's why you have to tell your story, no matter what. You have to tell right. it till you're blue in the face because um, parts of it are really silly and crazy. And why was I doing that? And like, immature and dumb. And and then the rest of it is amazing and uplifting. Hopefully, and like you're, um, you know, succeeding and and the things that you want to succeed in, um, not what somebody else wants. Because mm -hmm. that's all relative. You know, your success is based on you and how you feel and how you do it um, with integrity. Uh, <laughs> I probably didn't have any of that in my early 20s, but that's a good one. <laughs> well, we grow. We, we, we grow do. <laughs> we do. I just ran my mouth. I'm from Massachusetts. I grew up in a household where you say what you want to say and it doesn't matter. And I'm not going to drop all the F-bombs right now, but uh, that's all it was. Growing up, mm -hmm. I had really great mm -hmm. examples. It's not all great examples. But... <laughs> My mom's a great example. My mom's she's she's a powerhouse. She is she is she could have her own reality show. Um, but the one thing she taught me, she's like, you go to school and you get your work done. Don't make problems. Don't 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 start anything. Just get, keep your head forward and just get your work done. Just do it. And and if it makes you happy, continue to do it. If it doesn't make you happy, stop it because it's just going to make you miserable. And that's truly like the sound advice that I carry through my whole mm. life and why I've mm. shifted careers and like, it's all stayed in the same entertainment world and teaching and all that kind of stuff. But I've really, um, you know, I never knew I'd be right here talking to you. Like I never knew that that wasn't what yeah. I was setting out to do, but that's yeah, what's yeah. Cool, cool about life. Yeah. Um, and here we are. Yep. So I usually ask my guests to wrap it up a little. Uh, what's some words of wisdom you would give queer youth um, mm. coming up? Yeah. Hmm. Where do I begin? I, the first thing I know I want to say to queer young people, trans young people, is that you are God's master. I know that there's a lot of word on the street about whether or not being queer is right or sinful, whether or not your love is legitimate or can be recognized in the eyes of 
the Christian church, etc. But here's what I know is true. That um, God designed you and delights in you just as you are. Just as you are. And even when it's hard to believe that, even when the little voice in your head won't shut up, uh, trying to shame you about yourself, just hold on to the fact that, it's not an opinion, the fact that you are God's beloved, period. Um, And you don't have to prove anything to earn that status. You just... You inherit it because you exist. You inherit the status of beloved of God. So that's that's what I would say as a pastor, as a religious leader, as a person of faith um, to, to queer young people, to trans young people. Um, I would also say, relatively, I know it might be hard to find depending on where you live and, and stuff, but there are religious communities that believe that God delights in you and that who will be happy to see you when you come, who would who would get excited, who would be delighted to have you as part of their religious community, right? Not as a token, not as some sort of exotic other, but as a legitimate dear part of community. Um, and so find, get to Googling, find who in your neighborhood, whether that's your digital neighborhood or your actual neighborhood, find where you can go where they're expecting you. You know, I would say, I want to go someplace where they, they're happy to see me walking the room, where they are expecting me and they're, they prepared for me, right? I'm not a surprise that they expect me, right? Um, and so there are, if you need help, getting a point, you know, you need somebody to point you in the right direction. I want to find a religious community. I want to find a church or a congregation, no matter what your faith tradition, please use me as a resource, right? You can, you can reach me at hello, Reverend Naomi. Hello, R-E-F-N-A-O-M-I, hello, Rev Naomi at gmail.com. And I'll, if I don't know, I will know who knows and can point you to who you can be connected to. Because it's important, as we've said, to get a village around you of support that can help you as you go through the ups and downs of life. So so find find yourself a village, a religious village, if you want that, if you want that. Um, I think that maybe the third thing I would say is that um, you probably don't know how much power you have, but you have power. You have power to make extraordinary change. I I have seen it happen. I've seen young people get to the mic and say something that moves the hearts and minds of everybody present, right? And so, you know, know that, that there are many different ways you can use your power. You can vote. I mean, that's one thing. You can vote to change the political environment around you, but you can also get involved in so many other kinds of ways. Like if you're in school, you know, get on student leadership at your school so you can set some of the policies for your school. Or, you know, if you are um, part of a civic organization or you're, you know, in an after school program or whatever it is, 
You have the power to make sure that that program is designed just for you, right? Um, and so use your power, use your power. Um, now know this, there are some folks and some systems and some institutions that don't want us to have to use the power that we have. And so it's it's like that thing where, you know, you messing with somebody's, you know, bread and butter, they're going to fight back. And so what I've experienced is a backlash to me saying, I, I deserve to be here, right? I, I have power here. Um, but as long as you have your village of support, right, as long as you stay connected to folks who have been there, done like, like me, like Anthony, right? You can stand firm even when people are trying to trying to ignore you or neglect you or silence you, right? So you have power, use it. Use your power. Oh, Reverend Naomi, you are so amazing. I can tell we're gonna have a very long lasting friendship. For more information, if you want to just talk to Reverend, you can certainly find them on um, Hotmail. I mean, not Hotmail, Gmail at HelloRevNaomi at gmail.com. And just reach out for anything you want to ask them. They are very open and they will speak to you. Reverend's awesome. Ugh, such a good interview. Ooh, and then the whole thing with... Um, People that get kicked out of their homes or being queer and you have to grieve the loss of a living person is so powerful. Oh, God, I just that's just one of the greatest examples of something else that someone else has to go through. And you got to give them that time. You got to talk it out, talk it out and talk it out. Tell your story, folks. Tell your story. Oh, it's a good episode. Thank you so much to my on-air sponsor, of course, Michael J. Gorowskis. And I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio, and thanks for listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. And remember, listen, learn, love.